Welcome to Sunday Chats 969, the podcast where you can listen back to interviews that were first broadcast on All FM 96.9. We are an award-winning community radio station based in South Manchester, and on today's episode we are welcoming back the fantastic comedian and sci-fi author Philip Carter, and we're chatting to him today ahead of his latest trip to the States to celebrate the release of his book, The Cosmic Comedy Collection, where he's collaborated with a number of American authors. We're also chatting about the fact that he is planning to visit Roswell to complete his latest sci-fi trilogy. Let's welcome the fantastic Philip Carter. Welcome back, Phil. It feels like a while since you've been here, actually. It does. It feels like at least six months. (laughs) I think last time I came here, it was warm, and it's only started being warm this year, like about 30 seconds ago. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's been a while. (laughs) Well, I think think that's just you running into the studio, to be fair, Phil. I think that's it. (laughs) The studio does get warm, granted. We've got you on today for two reasons. First of all, I was looking back, because you're one of the guests that's been on the most in the the history of the, of the Sunday Tea Show. Mm. And I first had you on the show, remotely it was, um, at the beginning of February, I think it was the 1st of February, 2021. Well, so, <laughs> so we are now celebrating three years of you coming into the studio. Wow. But also, this is kind of going to be like one of your your last um, times into the studio before you embark on a journey to Roswell. Yeah, I think this is my last radio appearance in the UK before I go to Okay. Yeah. Oh, I love that. In the UK. He's already got them all stacked up um, <laughs> for, for the USA. I have tried. I am trying to get some like radio stuff going on in yeah. America. Because I thought it would be really cool to do on there. Oh, definitely. And they will love your British yeah. accent. They'll be like, that's not the British accent we're, we're used to. Where, where is he from? <laughs> They're used to different things, <laughs> aren't they? Um, yeah, but you've had such sensational success with Who Built the Humans original just who built the the humans it take on a whole other life of its own didn't it and that was actually the book that introduced you to me and then i actually thought you were american already to tell the truth yeah i get that a lot (laughs) from people if they've not heard my voice and they just see me on like social media Mm. they'll, they'll expect i'm american yeah and I don't know whether it's just British people are more polite and maybe I'm just rude. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've resonated. As simple as that. But, um, yeah, it's a very interesting thing because I've always wanted to travel to America and there's a big thing in the writing community at the moment where there's a few, I'll say higher-ups, the people who are doing better financially tend to feel like they can dish out advice to everybody else. Okay. Um, and there's a few mm. people saying, oh, you can't write from a place where you're not experienced in something. And I said to him, well, what about science fiction? I've never met an alien. And that got me thinking, (laughs) maybe they're right. So I'm going to Roswell. Scary. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to go full on method. Yeah. I'm going to write a science fiction book, and the fiction's going to be in commas, because it might actually have happened to me. Okay, it may be, and um, maybe what stays, what happens in Roswell stays in in Roswell. Maybe it's going to be a bit like that. But <laughs> have you already re- researched what goes on in Roswell currently? I mean, is, is there always um, a bunch of researchers and scientists and tourists, or is it just kind of like bare space most days? I mean, to an extent, I've researched it. I know there's there is a big tourism industry there. Hmm. Um, 
whether an alien craft landed there or not, mm. it's kind of it's weirdly not relevant to the place because people go because they that's kind of like become some sort of spiritual hub for people that believe aliens are yeah, there. Okay. Whether or not people believe they landed in Roswell is almost mm. not relevant to a lot of people's journeys. They'll still go there mm. to hang out with people at conventions and stuff. And that's something I want to do. Um, so we're going to be staying in a motel for two nights in Roswell. Okay. And we're going oh, to I love that. UFO yeah. hunting. Uh, I'm going to try and find some locals and ask them what actually happened. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm guessing, knowing my look, they'll probably remember me, and then I'll find out that I'm <laughs> destined to go backwards through time. Uh, so that, I mean, that's why I'm going, like, research-wise, it's for the Earthloop trilogy, which was born from my first book, Who Built the Humans? Right, okay. This time travel trilogy I'm working on that I'm sending a query letter for tonight to a publisher that I like, um, which is something I don't often do. Because you actually built your own publishing company uh, around this book, didn't you? The, yeah. the first two built the humans. You decided that not only was it, were you going to be an independent publisher, um, independent author, but you were going to be an independent publisher as well. We went all on in with it. Yeah. So that's a big step for you to actually introduce this concept to an, a new publisher. Yeah, it feels very weird for me because it was absolutely years ago that um, the first time I did a pitch on a book was the Stephanie Glitch, and that was 10 years ago, and I submitted mm. it to Tor, the okay. publishers, that I'm now not best pals with. <laughs> the, way, the, the way mildly. They are, they've been using AI art on their covers and not declaring right. it, so I've decided, okay. no thank you, don't want to work with them ever again. Um, not that I worked <laughs> with them in the first place anyway, but, but yeah. I, feel, I feel like for me, when it comes to being an indie author, being independent, the whole thing for me is to look after humans and to do things the human way, and which is partially why the cover, well, the book was called Who Built the Humans, and I taught myself cover design. It yeah. wasn't enough for me to not use a machine. I also didn't want to use another human being. I wanted the cover to look exactly how it was in my head. So I spent two years teaching myself cover design, which, if you ask my pre-order customers, did annoy two or three of them. Because wow. I delayed the book by four months, and they were like, why don't you just buy a cover? I said, because it needs to be perfect. And they all agreed that it was worth the wait because the cover came out and it worked with 3D glasses. Which I was going to say, Nobody's yeah. done that since 3D the 80s, glasses. Yeah. I remember that. I remember that very first it's cover. Back. Um and that was just you, you were as I said to you at the time that meant that your book was more than a book it was an actual experience like even if you didn't feel like reading it you could have some fun just like yeah. angling it with the with the glasses it's a thick book it's a little sci-fi bible in in a way which means that you know if you don't want to read it you can just use it as a nice coffee table book or something like that genuinely so, one of the first so, adverts said it also works as <laughs> so, so, so you have all that about it but the book but the the actual um stories inside are, are amazing and it's like choose your own adventure it's on a whole other level so do you find that since ai is becoming dominant last year that people are more intrigued by that title who built the humans it's almost got an ai connotation or it's like you know are, are we real are we fake mm. are you are you finding that it's building more of a momentum from it oh yeah definitely i mean that that is a theme in the book you know we've got lucy in the beginning who's a super intelligent ai mm. built to generate afterlives for humans mm -hmm. in in the absence of any proven afterlife, scientists decided, well, we'll just make a simulation that looks like heaven. And eventually that goes madly out of control. I can't spoil it because it would ruin your enjoyment of the story <laughs> as a reader. 
Um, <laughs> but I'm actually thinking of republishing that one on its own as well, because that's long enough to be a booklet, because it's got 47 yeah. chapters in it set across these 11 different universes, one of which was long enough to be a book in it in itself, but what I wanted when it came out was to make it look like a a best-of collection for a dead writer who wasn't actually dead yet. Okay. You know when a science fiction author dies and they go, here's all his best stories, yeah. here's all her best stories. Uh-huh. We've put them all in one book. I wanted to give the Americans, mainly, that impression that a long time ago Philip Carter had perished and these were all his best stories. And then when I actually turned up to events and I wasn't dead, they'd go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's a real guy. He's not uh, dead. Oh, they might say, he's come back. <laughs> yeah. He's just come back from the spaceship. <laughs> and now like, <laughs> I've got that weird angle where, mm-hmm. as we were talking about before we went live, people have asked me to republish some of the stories in that book as yes. standalone things because, you know, they've yeah. got family members who will look at a 325-page mm. book and have a panic attack, <laughs> which is fair, perfectly fair. You know, we live in an economy where, like, little small videos now are really taking over the media yes and that's not people's fault it's about people's people attention are, people spans isn't it you know people are busy like mm. my friend zach described who built the humans as adhd friendly science fiction yeah because of the way that if you finish a chapter it then gives you the choice do you want to turn to the next chapter or do you want to teleport a few hundred pages <laughs> and find out what happens next to these characters because it's like watching 11 netflix sci-fi shows at the same time yeah but in a way that doesn't give you a headache it's and a that's box really set difficult to mar- market by the way that was an absolute nightmare to market something that weird which is why i think now splitting it up I'm going yeah. back in time because most authors to go, oh, I've written a short story. I'll put that out on its own. I've written a novel. I'll put that out on its own. I've written a comedy poem about alien abductions. I'll put that out on its own. And then they put the book together. Whereas what I did is I put the book together mm. and then released it during the pandemic, which was the worst time to release a book. But it did really well mm-hmm. because people were indoors and they had the time to read something that big. And now you're all outside again. You don't have time for oh, me anymore. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> He's outside frolicking and having children and lives. <laughs> it's honestly, it's disrespectful. They should think more about the authors. Oh, they should like, think really about the books. authors, definitely. Yeah, yeah but I, I, a whole other revival of books came about during the the pandemic, and for you, it felt like as if it opened up all these different avenues because people found Who Built the Humans so funny in in places that it, it kind of redeveloped your love of of comedy and actually got you to start doing more stand-up comedy sometimes elements of the book sometimes whole different segments didn't it and it came from people telling you how funny your writing was yeah it's a bizarre thing because the first time i did stand-up was in 2015 at edge hill university's arts bar and i started off with a poem but i'd realized by 2015 i was in my third year mm. and i'd I'd done really well with poetry, got solid first for all of my poetry assignments, which sounds like a brag, but I didn't do so well in the other subjects, so it balances out. Okay. Because I abandoned them in favour of poetry and designing video games about magic cats. <laughs> that's that's another thing for another radio show. But, um, yeah, I, I did that, and I brought a poem about somebody who couldn't pay his phone... He couldn't pay his heating bills, and ice was creeping into his window. And okay. The, the ice was sentient. For some reason, it was alive... Mm. And I can't spoil the rest of the poem because it got quite dark and comedic and twisted, to be honest. Have and you got it on have you got it on you? Is it radio friendly? I no. bet it's not. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why I'm not spoiling the rest of it. Yeah. It's about he yeah. gets he gets a particular job talking to people on the phone to make money. Um mm. and that's what he does. 
kind of like a counselor, but a night a, a nighttime counselor. That's that's radio friendly, isn't it? That yeah, counselor yeah, that's night. that's radio. Yeah, yeah, you're 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 learning the, the radio friendliness. Yeah, and you actually had a, a stint on radio yourself as well. So you're you're, you're did, yeah. going through all the different mediums of entertainment, and it's all come about by um, who built the humans. Mm. I think radio is my favourite. Mm. Definitely, I think yeah. radio is my favourite. I mean, writing books comes to me very naturally and easily, but I do enjoy radio. It's the talking to other people, to be honest. I didn't realise it I was is. a social creature yeah. until I started doing stand-up and people said, oh, you're really comfortable on the stage. And it's like, well, it's just nice to be outside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Rather than just being sat typing yeah. away. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's actually um, a big issue for, for authors, isn't it? Lots of people have that kind of stereotypical notion that... Um, uh, an author will just like type on his laptop all day and he's not sociable and he, won't, he doesn't want to talk to anyone till the book comes out and even then maybe doesn't want to talk to anyone. But that was the difference between some authors and, and you. I think you really, you went out, you embraced it, you still promote this book because that book is like two or three books in one, isn't it? Mm, More yeah. than that. And I really believe in it as well. Yeah. And I think that's an issue that a lot of authors have is they'll write something, they'll spend years inventing a fantasy language and new cultures and all these cultures will be really beautiful and vibrant and interesting and then the author will come to a book reading and go hello everyone i've written a book <laughs> i'm not very proud of it to be honest and i think well they should be proud of it because the fact that you've managed to finish a book that's an achievement in itself yeah and then for authors to I mean, there's a, people like to argue between what's harder, traditionally publishing or self-publishing. I don't care. Both are quite difficult sometimes for different reasons. You know, traditionally published authors, I know somebody who has sent 900 queries to publishers mm. and she has not found a publisher yet. It okay. doesn't mean her books are bad. They're good. I've read some of them. But she, unfortunately, some parts of that industry don't really cater to the weirder people, which is why I set up Half Planet Press. I thought, fine, I'll do it myself, because I don't want to be old and frail by the time <laughs> this book comes out. I don't want to wait. Yeah. And that's difficult. You know, that sounds like a shortcut, but I had to teach myself cover design and formatting and editing and marketing, and I had to go to book events. I had to teach myself how to be a salesman at Comic Con. Yeah, I was going to say, stuff, it's, all, it's all a business aspect yeah. as well. And people don't really realise that when you embark on, on writing a book, it's not just the writing of the book. If you want people to read that book, you, you've got to be prepared to be like this... 360 marketeer haven't you really yeah and in increasingly traditional publishers are putting pressure on people to do some of the marketing as well like i had a experience a few years ago where after the kickstarter for the Earthloop trilogy nearly got finished mm. in one weekend at comic-con i could have cheated and put an extra 150 into it myself okay but that wouldn't have felt right and to this day i would still regret that even though i would have had the money for it mm. so i put it on hold and i said to people look i've got your email addresses when the book comes out i'll let you know you get the ebook don't worry about it sure even though i've given them the you know they've not actually spent the money on it because it wasn't fully raised mm. i've still thought well you've put the effort in I'm going to give you the ebook anyway, you know, eventually. Because mm. one day I'll be able to afford it. I know it's a nice thing to do. But I was thinking about that and I thought, I've kind of lost my trail of thought here. Where was I? <laughs> you, you, you were talking about the fact that you had to become a businessman as well as an author in order to sell your books. Yeah, and it's all of that. So I had to make a very difficult business decision, which was 
you know, the correct business decision probably would have been to cheese it and just put an extra £150 into the Kickstarter because that's all it needed. Mm. And then say, look, everybody got funded in a weekend. It's going to come out. Woo. But there's only about, there's only like 15, 16 people actually supporting it. So I thought, okay. you know, I need to build my audience first. And I realised when I was at that Comic-Con that, you know, it's a nice thing. People come by and they're nice to you and you get along with people, but you don't actually have an audience. It's transient. They they go home at the end of the day. They've not got your contact details. They, <laughs> they don't get to hear about new books. So I started de- developing business cards, and then I've with got QR spread- codes on them as well. Yeah, QR codes that lead to free books and stuff like that. Yeah. And I I've got an Excel spreadsheet at home where I think, you know, I like that story. What should I do with it? Should I send it to a traditional publisher? Should I print it myself? Should I make it free for readers? And with a lot of the ver- the shorter ones, Hologram Kebab, for example, sure, is a short story about a couple that have broken up after the boyfriend cheats on his girlfriend Mm. and she discovers that their final argument they're having isn't real because her hand goes straight through a kebab that she had from the night before. She realises she's trapped in a simulation but that the simulation is something they both kind of agreed to when they went out with each other. It's sort of their marriage vow was something to do with trapping each other in a simulation. It's weird. It I gets read weirder that. Than that. Yeah. I loved that one as well, yeah. What but did you think of the massive shift in tone near the end? Because it was like dark comedy, then all of a sudden you're like, whoa. It was, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was literally like being in a lift and then next thing the lift drops. It was like, oh. <laughs> it, it was a bit like that. Um, but it, it was very psychologically led, I found. I, I You know, it was kind of, it, it was it was humorous, it was realistic, it was dark, it was thought-provoking. It, it was everything all in one. It was like, whoa. Um, and that was one of your Friday um, giveaways. See, mm. y- you give people a lot of different food for thoughts about how they should actually promote their, their material, um, get it out there. Do you find that the free model actually yields readers that stay with you? It is working for me at the moment, yeah. It's a good way to rack up reviews as well. Okay. And not just good reviews, honest reviews. Like, if you give something away for free, it will bump into people who aren't the target audience. So Mm. you have to expect that. I've got really good reviews so far, but I just thought I'd put that warning sign out there because Hologram Kebab is... Tonally, it's a story that would confuse a traditional publisher because it starts off as yeah. quite a spicy relationship comedy and then it's an existentialist horror yeah. at the end. Um, and I really like that. And I'm glad that you like it as well. And yeah. I was actually tempted not to make that one free because I thought people will pay for this one. But that was but quality, that, be, yeah. I wanted it to be the introductory... I mean, it's not to your be free hum- forever. Okay. So, yeah. like, when I go to America in April, I think I'm going to stop it being free. I'm going to stop all the ones that I've got out being free because I, I just wanted to build a readership up at the moment. And you get good reviews because you can make it free on Amazon through Draft mm. to Digital. This could be a whole long podcast, but you can make it <laughs> free on Amazon. Yeah. People download it. If they like it, they're going to give it a good review. If they don't like it, they're going to give it a three star two star whatever okay um, but yeah. as long as people have written a review then other readers have something to read and they get to learn oh that might be something i like because i've i've read reviews that were like one star reviews of books before and i thought i want to read that book this yeah. person who's reviewed it is clearly stupid so i'm going to buy it ne- ne- never be scared <laughs> of the never be scared of the one star review in in anything dear listener because if it's like five star five star then maybe um 
people will start to think that you've paid people or it's all a bit fake, yeah. it's all a bit nicey-nicey. There is actually something of that curiosity element in the one-star um, review. So we'll chat more about what you're, you're up to next after a track. Got to have a bit of Bowie for you. I thought Loving oh, the Alien oh, was, perfect. Uh, was perfect. And I just wanted to, to talk to you about like why you became so, so passionate about writing about sci-fi and and aliens and potentially did did it was it bowie's influence on you it was bowie and gary newman initially and mm. watching the x-files as well when i was a oh, child okay. um like about 11 or 12 years old i started watching the x-files and i remember reading science fiction books when i was in school and not liking the endings of them, so I started writing better endings. Ah, that is interesting because <laughs> it's it's always your endings. It's a bit like the the punchlines to to jokes, but in the in a story form sense, like what's the what's the ending gonna be? Very true. Mm-hmm.
David Bowie there with Loving the Alien, playing that for my special guest live in the studio, who is the fantastic Philip Carter. One of the things that I love about when you come in, Phil, is you've always got um, a slightly different title, in a sense, because because it, like yeah. some, to begin with, you, you were an, an author. Then lockdown finished, and you started to go to to more um, comedy gigs, and then it kind of changed a, a little bit more. And it was um, you did some writing coaching i think for a while and then you went oh God, back yeah. uh, and then you went into <laughs> collaborating with, with people for, for your writing and and your comedy and that was the, the 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 cosmic comedy collection and that was how that was born and and that's your collaboration with yeah. ma mainly american authors isn't it with american authors mainly yeah. one other british guy who i found in a car park behind big tesco who's called Robin Drown, and he's pretty cool. But everybody else is American. Apart from me, I just pretend to be American. <laughs> um, but yeah, Zach's here at the moment. I'm currently live streaming Hello, on Zach. Instagram as well. I'm visiting, Zach is my friend who's gonna be keeping me alive when I'm in Roswell. Hello, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the Cosmic Comedy Collection is a strange beast because hmm. back in 2015, I had this idea for a book that I was gonna call, cause I was doing a degree at the time, I was very fancy, I was gonna call it Planetary Overlap. And the idea okay. was that it was about alternate universes. And you see where the seeds were sowed hmm. all those years ago, alternate universes, but each universe was written by a different author. Unfortunately, I only knew one other science fiction author who had a sense of humour. <laughs> so we couldn't put the book together. It just couldn't happen. It couldn't get made. Um, so I put it aside, and then I saved the title for actually what was later on going to be a magazine about Lego and collecting Lego. Wow. And the different universes in the Lego story, because it's kind of like sort of a, a secret that's not kept very well on purpose that there's sort of a meta story between all the different Lego themes that have come out since the 1980s. Okay, that's interesting. Because I love world building like that, especially in toy design as well. Yeah. It's really smart stuff. And that's where the Cosmic Comedy Collection came from is I've basically waited 10 years to find enough people that were funny enough to be in the book. So we've got Aaron Frail, John Kuhn, Robin Drown, whoever I am, and AJ Pagan. <laughs> so... And, and how, how did that kind of come, come together? Did you all have to brainstorm together or was it a case of everyone wrote from their own viewpoint, their own sense of humour and then, then you just read through everything, proofread it and said, this is what I want to go in? Oh yeah, definitely. I had to... I, I didn't want to exert any pressure on anyone so they'd feel like they had to adhere to my sense of humour. Like, Robbins is quite zany, sort of closer to Douglas Adams. AJ's is darker, perhaps even darker than my sense of humour. Okay. Um, and Aaron and John are somewhere else entirely with their sense of humour as well. John's quite literary, but at the same time has that zaniness. Uh, it's, it, it works really well. And funnily enough, you've asked where the idea came from mm. for this book. You actually kind of resurrected it by accident. Did I? Because wow. you've got me into doing stuff on the radio and I've had it I actually remembered that I have been on the radio once before before you interviewed me mm. and that was at Edge Hill on their Freshers Week in ah, okay. 2012 yeah um, they had like an open mic night right for, okay for radio for some reason I wasn't a student there but I had a friend who was a bit nervous about his Freshers Week and he invited me along and he left me alone for five minutes and I wound up on the student nah. mini radio <laughs> just like just telling jokes which is a really weird thing because I've just remembered that now. Just uh, telling remembers, jokes. Remembers like a different, wow. It's like a different life. <laughs> well, you know, 
as I said, I thought that you were American and then um, we realised how close we actually lived to, to each other and then we realised that you actually went to this radio station when it was a library as a child and it was like, yes. oh my God, you actually yeah. knew this This was I, your library I as a child. probably wet myself in this very room. Um, <laughs> Lovely visuals. Yeah. yeah. Then that's why I'm here today. To apologise. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, don't want any nappies changing, dear, because I'm no, it's not. not it's that. not like Hay- Haley's comet. He comes back every 25 years and soils himself. <laughs> no, yeah. but you're the reason the Cosmic Comedy Collection came back to life in a way because. I don't know if you recognise the names on this book. Well, I have heard of all these names. They were all on my podcast. Podcast, yeah. yeah. And I wouldn't have made the podcast if it wasn't for building my confidence up by coming on All FM. Woohoo! Hear that, so All it FM. All, it all comes together, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's what I love about All FM. That's what I love about community radio. You get more time to talk about your your ideas, your, your projects, and then when you've done another thing, come back and tell us all about it again. And that's what I really love, exploring people's journeys, which is definitely what we've done with you because you actually ended up at Manchester Fringe last year as as well. Yes. You did it in record time again. That was I like... Uh, I, w- I would like to apologise again to the organisers for how hastily <laughs> I threw that together. But I didn't well, think I'd have the money for it and I didn't realise how hmm. affordable it was and how nice they are to artists. All I've heard about festivals is from like people who've had a difficult experience and I hadn't really talked to anyone who'd yeah. done the Manchester Fringe before and when I started talking to people they were like, it's brilliant, you should do it yeah. and I was like, well I've got 21 days left and they went, do it anyway <laughs> <laughs> and I think yeah. it was worth it. it it was worth it because I mean you did go out of your comfort zone to promote your book at a Comic Con I'm, I'm not really aware of many authors that would do that actually at a, at a Comic Con yeah. <laughs> we, don't, we don't get out enough for you to see us ever so, so I was like, why don't you do the, the Manchester Fringe and I kept like going on about it and I know that you wanted to like go and watch Edinburgh Fringe before embarking on any of that but I just thought maybe do you find that doing that deep dive in was better than having months of preparation maybe did you like the whole on edgeness of it just get that venue and yeah I don't like having time to make myself nervous yeah Um, I did that I did stand up at the first scholar the other day and I wrote a long bit about you know, being a young carer, because I was, that's another thing I was briefly, um, for my little brother, and, like, autism and stuff like that. And mm. I thought a lot of people don't really cover that subject because they think it's a bit touchy. Um, but because I'd be writing from experience, I thought there's actually some insights I've got that are funny. And I thought it was a good script. I wrote it down, and I got on stage, and I didn't use it at all because I okay. improvised because the guy before me had done a joke about how he has a massive skull. And I thought, I've got a giant head as well. So Thank God it was a minute. skull. I, I was holding my breath for a minute then. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, OK. <laughs> I was I was being... What, what's this, like, role reversal? I'm having to check you now to make sure you're safe. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. I, was, I just did a five-minute bit, which doesn't sound interesting in theory, but a five-minute bit about, like, how I didn't... Mm couldn't get a hat to fit during my graduation. It's a true story. I bought an extra large hat, but it didn't fit on the day. Mm. And the lady who was fitting the hat said, oh, we only ever get two of you a year. And I went, what do you mean two of me? And she went, you know what I mean. And she took me off into a little darkened room. 
and we walked past all these boxes of hats, and I went, is, would none of those fit? And she went, no, those are normal sizes. Oh. And we went into, like, oh, the, the, cheeky, the freak it? room where they put the freaks, and there was this one ridiculously large hat with dust on it, and she, like, blew the dust off it, and she went, there you go. And it fit perfectly. No. But apparently there's okay. only ever two people with a head as large as mine. Wow. Per year. Well, that's fun. how you've Pine. got so much knowledge, then. Yeah, with your true. M- that's where I put all the evil... But yeah, if my mum's listening, I'd like to apologise again for when when my mum was pregnant with me, my head was so big that it put one of her ribs out permanently. Really? Yeah. Sorry, mum. Gosh. <laughs> well, at least you've ended up being so intelligent, though. I mean, that kind of um, that that makes up for it. Um, definitely does. But yes, so you've got this comedy, this cosmic comedy collection out. Mm. When you get over to the States, are you hoping to do some live appearances where you all get together then? Is that going to happen when, when you get over there? Yeah, the bizarre thing is that Robin lives in the UK and we've not met yet, but there's actually a pretty high chance I'm gonna, I'm definitely going to bump into John because mm. he lives like near the airport I'm landing at. I'm probably going to bump into AJ because, you know... He'll be about. Don't know about Aaron. Aaron's like a six, seven hour drive away. Okay. We might try and go up and see him, but it'd be cool if we could get like pretty much most of the gang together in America. Um, I think that would be amazing, yeah. Bizarre thing. But um, yeah, I think we'll do a live stream or a video there. Just get the guys together, maybe read our stories and tell jokes. Because I want to do that for my comedy show. I can't announce the name of it yet because it's not come out, but it's very funny and it has a quantum physics joke in the title. Um, it was originally called The Philip Carter Show. I'm not arrogant enough to give it that name. A fan, <laughs> a fan gave it that name. And it, I'll be honest, no offence to the person who named it that. Yeah. It, it kind of doesn't work for me anymore because I, I feel like, you. yes, I am in every show, but that is that much is apparent from the fact that I'm in it. I don't really need it named after me. Like, I kind of want... I like the idea of it being able to exist without me okay like i'll i'll i might, might still say oh it's philip carter's da 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 show yeah show that's actually probably a title nobody's ever used show um but like just the original one it felt very me so i'm going to use that as like a normal podcast when i just read poems and do a bit of jokes but when i interview people i'm going to have a different name for it like really when i used to have strange stories okay original one I don't know if I knew that one. I mean, I, I really enjoyed your interview with John Kuhn. That was one of the ones that, that I that I caught. And I thought you were really natural um, the way you did it. Real, you used, to, you used to dress up in sparkly um, jackets, didn't you? Like real yeah. showman and stuff like that. Yeah, I was going um, for the Graham Norton vibe. <laughs> Though, to be fair, I think Graham Norton would look at some of my jackets and think they were a bit much. Probably go, hmm... <laughs> It's shiny. Do you know what? Graham Norton had his last radio show t- this morning. Oh. His last radio show this morning, and I didn't listen to it for ages, and I just happened to catch it. I was like, oh, my God, that's his, that's his last one. But I think, wow. he's, I think he's going on to two other things. I mean, we, we saw him on the game show, and, you know, God knows what else he's, yeah, he's he up to. Yeah, game show. Yeah, I can't so, remember what game show it was. I just um, remember he had a really nice suit. That shows where my priorities are. I just remember the suit. Um, Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune, Wheel yeah. of Fortune, yeah. Okay. I was just thinking, I wonder how much that suit costs. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was thinking that he looked so much smaller in real life. I was like, I thought yeah. he was... A, but but you, you said that he would be, so... Yeah, I think Will I Am was a surprise for me. Will I Am, yeah. He was small, yeah. He's pocket-sized. <laughs> they weren't on the same show, dear listener. We're talking no. about two different multiverses here. Yeah. 
But it's really weird because I was sat right behind him, so mm. I'm, I'm in some of the shots for that, and it, it literally just looks like Will I Am's trying to escape Bigfoot. Will I Am turned around at, at the end of that show, and he just he looked at the two of us, and he was like, he was he was, th- he was thinking, Will he come over or won't he come? He he could sense our energy. I'm sure he could when he was like yeah. just there. He was like, so that was who was behind me, and he looked at you. But was yeah, it that could have been the smell? <laughs> yeah, to be fair, it could have been that. Was that <laughs> was that was that the one where your where, where your mum said that she recognised your forehead? Yes, yes. I got I got home, and my like it was about a month afterwards. My mum called me downstairs, and she paused the TV and she went, "You see that giant head there?" And I went, "Yeah." And she went, "That's you, isn't it?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's that's me." And that's how she could tell because my head's larger than anybody else's, only by a little bit. But you know the. The TV adds ten pounds, so yeah. So yeah, I look like true. a pop vinyl of myself. That's why. That's why I'm. If anybody ever sees me on stage and they think, "Oh, he's gaining a bit of weight. Why is he gaining weight? He's supposed to be a fancy showbiz man. What's he gaining weight for?" If I lost weight, I'd look like a bobblehead. <laughs> so I have to. You know, Jimmy Carr looks like he's got like his head's a bit loose. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I can't. I can't be doing that. I need to look solid. So okay, I'm I'm just on the burgers, a strictly burger only diet. <laughs> well, you know, this is this is another thing. I think that there's no need to <laughs> to make excuses for for how you look or you know to not be. It's the beauty of radio, for one thing, because no one ever knows how you look unless they get to see you outside of it. I think yeah, you know, and it's kind of it's all about the voice and it's all about the intelligence, hopefully, and 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 stuff like that. <laughs> they do say. That aliens have bigger heads. So does that mean that somewhere along the line that you may have some ideas that you're dis- distantly connected, related? It's a joke I've played with before because mm-hmm. I did know somebody briefly who genuinely believed I might have been like, what is it, the star seed? Yes, that's like, something, oh, yeah. You have psychic powers. But um, you do, though, Allegedly. You, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think I think you'd, is this I me think coming, you do. Is this me coming out as a psychic on the radio now? I was planning on Ooh. doing it a while ago, but um, <laughs> it's a weird thing because you, like, as a comedy writer and a science fiction author, if you then tell people that sometimes you do a bit of magic, they're like, "Is that a bit?" And you're like, "No, actually, it's not." And it's just very confusing for people. But I, I think the, I think that's a good, good thing because. Art is going in that direction now, where people are allowed to be more human than they were before. Yeah, I think it's it's actually imperative that the humanity of an author comes out on a whole other level because it's so important to distinctly hear an author's individual voice. I mean, you've got an individual, a real, like, distinctive Mm. individual voice, um, and that comes through. And I don't think AI could really replicate that. AI is not really good with sense of humour yet. Have you tried to um, use AI to write jokes? No, I think the issue, I know what the issue is with AI and jokes, is that most people don't have a sense of humour. And that AI is an algorithm trained on all the data in Google, Mm. and if 80% of people don't get jokes, then the AI's got an 80% chance it's not going to get jokes. Um, And that's, Mm. that's, I mean, that's a real, like, oversimplification of it. I'm sure some AI research is going to call in and yell at me well. in a robotic voice. It's very suspicious. Uh, I'm sure that's going to happen. But, yeah, it's a weird thing because I've got a few friends who've tried to use AI for writing and I thought, I'll give it a go. I'm not going to publish anything that I, that I 
like make with it because I feel like that would be disrespectful to my readers. I, I know other authors don't have that opinion, but that's my opinion. Everything I write is human. Everything that you read, but I tried to get to have a conversation with one. Yeah. And it just kept making stuff up. I asked it where the time travel headquarters in America was, and it picked a random street in Ohio. Okay. And I asked it again ten minutes later, and it picked a random street in um, Taiwan. And I asked it again, yeah. and it was like, oh, it's in Japan now. And I was like, okay, these time travelers, no wonder they don't get any time travel done. They just keep, <laughs> like, they just, they just never unpack their suitcases. And it just kept, it spews stuff out. And the reason it spews stuff out is because if you're not, aware of all the world's media nobody is yeah what it's actually doing is it's just nicking stuff it's not making anything new exactly. it's just nicking stuff like somebody like an author i know shared a picture that she like quote unquote made with ai the other mm. day and it had like a rocket ship on it and i said oh I, that's by the artist paul lair okay and she went no i got ai to make this i went okay fine and google reverse image search it's pretty damn close to something that was painted yeah. in the 60s and, and it's, it's it's plagiarism uh, isn't it it's gonna it it's is. gonna end up bordering on plagiarism I, yeah, bef- in a way before the next advert break i want i want to seed a phrase into the human consciousness oh okay go on um i don't think we should call it ai writing we should call it counterfeit fiction Mm, nice, I like that. Yeah, um, and I know that you would never use AI to write jokes, but I was wondering if you ever went through the process just to see how it works and see what it would it would spew up, oh, just yeah. to kind of unpick it and unpack. I wanted to scope out the competition. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a, a little bit. I didn't think the quality could be worse than you know Christmas cracker jokes. Okay. Where it's like, why did the penguin cross the road? Because his shoes were too big, <laughs> and you're like, I don't know what this means. And, yeah. You know, you're full well, of well, stuffing and alcohol. And, and like, AI I've, doesn't know what it means either. It's, so it's that, that that's the thing. It's just kind of it's yeah. just like spewing the thing. That's up. where it becomes abundantly clear is when you've got any art form that's subtle and that relies on oh, human shoes. relationships. Yeah. That's where it fails. <laughs> well. One thing I want to say about the psychic thing before I, I go on to another track is that I, I, during the um, pandemic phase of time, I came across so many authors who'd written stories between one and two years before the pandemic that was very similar to the pandemic and it made, and about viruses and all sorts of oh, things. Yeah. It made me realise how many authors are actually distinctly psychic. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I wrote something about black holes six, seven years ago and I pitched it to somebody and they said it was unrealistic and a theory came out about two weeks ago that's kind of similar. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. Okay, and, and on that note, we will welcome our next guest shortly, but we'll play another Bowie track in, in the meantime, and this is David Bowie with Changes. Yeah. Waiting for, and my time was running wild a million dead end streets. And every time I thought I got it made, it seemed the taste was not so sweet. So I turned myself to face me, but I've never caught a glimpse how the others must see the faker. I'm much too fast to take that test Ch-ch-ch-changes Turn and face the strange changes Don't wanna be a richer man Ch-ch-ch-changes Turn and face 
David Bowie and Changes. You're listening to the Sunday Tea Show right here on 96.9 All FM on your radio, allfm.org, wherever you are in the world, online with me, Ruth O'Reilly. And my special guest live in the studio is the fantastic Philip Carter. He's an author, he's a comedian, and so much more, Phil. You have just been multitasking <laughs> and arranging more radio appearances, haven't you? Yeah, I... Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's the thing I, I did at uni. Like one of my tutors said, "You do know you you can stop spinning plates and relax." And I was like, "No, I'll get bored." Hmm. So yeah, right now I'm on Instagram Live as well, and I'm just trying to book yes. like a radio appearance in America when I go there. Well, I <laughs> love that because that means they get to hear about all FM in America. So yeah. it's all good. You've got listeners in America. Already. Yeah, we've already got listeners in America. We've got ten right here. <laughs> but yeah, so you have so got it's all it's all going on, and we we've also got our guest for for hour two, who's just arrived in in the studio as well. The fantastic Jenny Berry. It's great to have you in the studio as well. Hi. <laughs> we will be chatting to Jenny in hour two about many different things: her latest book, her latest round of of workshops, her latest commissioned poetry. So it's it's a full on creative special today here at the Sunday Tea Show. But, Phil, do you want to tell us about your next book, Who Killed the Humans, oh, quite, yeah. quite quickly? Because you first came on the show with Who Built the Humans. It's gone through many different formations. And now we've got into Who Killed the Humans. Is that something to do with AI? 
Um, there is one story about AI in it, but I wrote it long before the current Okay. Fad. Um, so I'm keeping that in because I know that I've not been really influenced by culture too much with that one. Mm. It's got a sequel to one of the stories in Who Built the Humans, but you don't need to read both stories to understand them. Okay. Um, and it's about really what could possibly happen to us, potential extinction scenarios for the human species mm. and, and the whole planet, really, and what would happen afterwards. So one of the stories I'm working on at the moment is about 10,000 words long, and it's called The Cosmonaut Who Died Twice. <laughs> And it's about a cosmonaut who dies twice because I thought my titles were too confusing. I'm just going to say what happens because poet, poets do that. As much as yeah. I don't understand a lot of spoken word po poetry, mm. I've got to give them credit where credit's due. If they write love poems, they'll go, this book is called Love Poems, a book of love poems that are poems about love. And you look at it on Amazon and you go, gee, I wonder what this book's about. So like, I've kind of nicked that from the poets in a way, like making the story titles painfully obvious. And also the fact that she dies twice is kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah she, she tries to investigate a UFO in orbit around Jupiter, which was actually piloted by one of the characters in Who Built the Humans and in the Earthloop trilogy. So all the books come together. I, I love the way you do that. That's just yeah. marketing on a whole other level, isn't it? Really. I never thought of it that way. I'm it's just, always in getting my head, an advert. I'm just telling in. a giant story. And yeah. when it hits a million words, I think the curse will finally be lifted and I'll be allowed to die. Do you feel that you've captured um, a moment, though, because we're all kind of like, oh, we're, we're all going to die. AI is going to oh, yeah. take over everything. Yeah, and that's kind of what's the unique selling point of this new book. Yeah, I'm very happy as a Bowie super fan that I'm like people are now messaging me and saying that I was ahead of my time mm. like, luckily I was only ahead by five years whereas a lot of science fiction authors are like 200 years ahead of their time mm. they die in obscurity and then years later some scientist is like you know that horrible thing from that book that's really old maybe we should make it and see if it hurts people yeah and i'm like no we don't do that that's why he wrote the book he wrote the book to tell you not to do the thing why are you doing the thing so you know i'm writing yeah. about potential human extinctions and stuff there's a magic horse in who who killed the humans as well okay um that can knit scarves with okay. messages from the future <laughs> um, wow. and that becomes a main character hmm. the character called god no relation to any actual god who died at the end of Who Built the Humans, gets scraped yeah. back together and fixed, and he's alive in Who Killed the Humans, and he goes kind of goes back in time and tries to undo his wrongs, but in going back in time, kind of makes a lot of bad stuff happen. A lot of bad stuff. That That is actually absolutely incredible, isn't it? And it's crazy. Pe people have called Who Built the Humans a, a Bible of sorts, so, it, you know, it yeah, all comes that's... together that you should, like, bring God back and hold other way yeah really you know it'd be interesting if you know my career collapses as a science fiction author i could always just start a cult <laughs> <laughs> there's a nice reference for everybody well, who's listening <laughs> he's trying to start a cult right on air and I've on, been, on I've instagram been advised not to start cults actually I, I've, I've been warned that you know it could very easily happen in america if you're charismatic enough so i'm going to go and be very boring <laughs> I've heard boring it. people following me. We're all going to wear grey. Well, <laughs> and he's not wearing grey, dear listener, for people that are just on the. <laughs> oh. No, that's um, that's not exactly grey, is it? It's kind of um, mixture stone. of yeah, yes, yeah, stone, yes. Yeah, very sophisticated. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot how people can find the books. It's just Linktree slash Real Philip Carter or Philip Carter or indeed. Actually, it's realphilipcarter.substack.com. That's easy. And, that wh an and easy what's one. your Instagram so that pe people can... Everything is real Philip Carter. Okay. To imply that all the other ones are fake. Yeah. Well, um, they are, aren't the they? You're, you're, you are the real one. Yeah. I've, I've chatted to a lot of authors <laughs> recently who have 
decided to like go out there on location to really get into the whole feel of the book by going to where it is and that's kind of what you're doing with, yeah. with this as well what do you think that's going to add to your writing to actually be in there to immerse yourself in there i think i'm probably going to be able to finish the book while i'm there to be honest really because i'm gonna get a cheap little laptop and just in the evenings just write as fast as i can there's too many distractions at the moment being self-published about half my time is spent writing adverts and i'm bored yeah. of that i just want to write books again so i just thought right i'm going to spend most of my money i'm going to go to roswell I'm going to see if I can find some aliens. I'm going to write a story about them. Mm. I'm probably not going to be allowed to publish it because the military will chase me. It'll be fine. Everything's going to be fine. I'm not going to disappear. There's not going to be any teleportation, if, laser beams, none of that. Famous last words, Janice. <laughs> yeah. No, you know they'll be playing this when, be you, when you go, go up on the on, on, on the spaceship. Oh, hi, Isabel. Uh, whatever. Yeah, Isabel's here. Have you interviewed Isabel on the radio? Isabel Byrne. Yeah. 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 Hello, yeah. Isabel. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Isabel's been up to some really interesting stuff as well. I have I heard. Know, everybody's gone on like different crazy. Yeah. Directions. Also become an international poet. So nice. Nice. Yeah. So it's, it's all it's like it's all happening. It's weird. I'm bringing my poetry, like sci-fi poetry collections, back because like a few years ago, I just wasn't sure anybody would read them. But now I've got the audience. I'm thinking somebody might like them. I'm going to make the first collection free as well, so yeah. people can make decisions. Yeah. You try before you buy. I think it's the best way to do it. Justin Timberlake brought sexy back. You're bringing sci-fi back. Yeah. <laughs> actually, the, the, the synopsis of uh, Who Killed the Humans actually says on the back, back, do you remember when books were weird? Allow me to take you back through time and also possibly diagonally to a world where magic horses ru run the country. And it's just like, it just goes off like that. And I actually got congratulated by a publisher a while ago, come up to me and he said, it's amazing that there's that, the back of Who Built the Humans actually says what happens in the book. Nobody does that anymore. It's always just Guardian reviews talking about how brave yeah. it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, yeah, because nobody cares about that, really. Like, It's such a weird cultural thing. Like, The back of the book should say what the book does. So on the back of the uh, Cosmic Comedy Collection, it says, it's time sci-fi got weirder. That's why we got a comedian to drag his funniest friends out of their houses and talk them into giving him their finest comedy stories. Flying cats, shape-shifting aliens, and slimy monsters are just some of the things you'll encounter in this book. What you hold in your grubby little hands is a collection of weird sci-fi comedy stories that bridge the strange gap between writing and performance. If sci-fi is an after-lecture cheese and wine party and comedy is the student rave next door, then this book is a double-ended alien beast hooked over the broken fence between them, somehow causing havoc on both sides. We won't describe the havoc because it would not be appropriate for the outer cover of a paperback in an establishment as fine as the one you're presently lingering within. But we can say that people on either side of this conceptual fence will remember this book as a thing that happened in their brain that they heard about or probably even read once. Oh, I was just saying yeah. how much is left of it. That's it. Yeah, I just wanted to use the. I just thought it was very funny to no, use the entire back cover that, of the book to just have a wrap. That is amazing, <laughs> and that and that's available on Amazon right now, it's isn't it? It's available everywhere. Yeah, I've sorted my distribution out. I know I am omnipresent. It's a. It's right here. Look, there's one. <laughs> so, that was really loud. I'm sorry. <laughs> radio effects. Radio sound so, effects. So, so very Just quickly before before listeners. before the adverts, because we're almost at the top of the hour. Have you got any advice? You've gone through so many different levels of marketing and publishing and all the rest of it. Have you got any last words of of advice for any aspiring indie authors out there? Yeah, if you're going to be weird, do it on purpose. <laughs> 